Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Well, good morning. My name is Kurt Bissell, not Craig. For those of you I have not met, uh, it is good to see you this morning. Uh, I am our online campus pastor, our online engagement pastor. I want to say hi to our uh, friends online this morning. Encourage you that if there are times when you just can't get out to church, whether that's because you're ill or because you're on vacation um, or something like that, I would just encourage you to tune in online. You can get there um, through Facebook. Uh, You can get there through our online online church platform, or you can just go to our website, garfieldchurch.org, and and worship with us there. And I would use that word worship, not watch, because you are still able to worship the Lord. Can you get an amen to that? All right. Well, I want to uh, start with a, a, a little bit of the Christian acronyms. You guys all know those, right? There, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of them. Acronyms were around before memes, for those of you not old enough to remember what acronyms are, although acronyms do show up on memes occasionally, and Christians are the best at acronyms. So here's a couple, uh, maybe you know them, um, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Yeah, uh, a good question, right? We, we ask that question. We're, well, let, let's, let's back up. We're supposed to ask that question uh, before we do things. And, and maybe we ask them. You remember the, the silicone wristbands that we would wear? Um, and I say we. Maybe I was just the only one wearing them. Um, but we would ask that question, uh, reflect on what Jesus would do, and then we would do whatever we wanted, right? So that's a, that's a good question to ask. Um, in, the, in the last service, nobody knew the next one except Pastor, uh, Pastor Steve, or no, no, Pastor Scott. Um, we actually have a Pastor Steve, so, um, so, so the next one is, is, is frog. Does anybody remember what frog stands for? Fully rely on God. And this, this are my people here. I, all right. Maybe a little known fact. There are ice cream shops around the Cleveland area, and I think nationwide, Sweet Frog. How many of you have been to a Sweet Frog? Sweet Frog is a hat tip to fully rely on God. So if you want to feel holy and eat ice cream, go to a Sweet Frog. Um, how about this one? W-D-Y-R-T. W-D-Y-R-T. All right, we've, we'll, we'll go, okay, here's, here's another, a, a real one. Um, Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Some of you are well indoctrinated in Christian culture. I actually don't like that one. I think it sells scripture really short. But the Bible is so much more than that. I digress, though. Um, the, the last one I want to talk to you about is the, the most ancient 
um, uh, acronym that we have in the Christian faith, at least. Um, you, you've seen it on bumper stickers. Uh, you've seen it or heard it on the radio. And it's, it's, it's the fish, right? Although F-I-S-H is not the acronym. It's actually the Greek ichthus. And you can see here, it was two lines... Um, and, and it formed the, the fish. And ichthus actually stands for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And so when you see that fish, don't think of the fish eating Darwin or Darwin eating the fish or some other weird thing along that. But think of ichthus, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. So the Christians, you could see in ancient times, um, would, would sometimes, uh, at least the story goes, that they would draw one line in the sand and then another Christian to verify, to confirm that they were also a follower of Jesus, would draw the other line to form the fish. We see it actually drawn on walls in ancient times. You can see those in archaeology. Um, if you Google this, a couple of them show up. The ones you find, I can't verify their authenticity, but there are authentic ones out there. So the, uh, the scripture, as I know it, doesn't include any acronyms in it, but it does include a, um, a literary device, a poetic device called the acrostic. The acrostic poem. Many of you, um, probably the last time you encountered acrostic was while making a Mother's Day card, where you would start every letter of mother, or if you were an underachiever, you'd write mom, and you, <laughs> and you would put a, a, a word or a, a phrase next to those letters, right? And so... The acrostic, though, in the Hebrew scriptures um, was a way of taking the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and starting each line of that poem or that psalm um, with that. And so, so here you see the Hebrew alphabet. There will be a quiz at the end. Um, Actually, just as a fun side note, I, uh, in seminary, uh, which was, gosh, 15 plus years ago, um, I learned Hebrew. Um, I don't remember a whole lot of it today, but I do remember the alphabet because Dr. Overland, my Hebrew professor, taught us a little song that went with this, and I still can sing it today. I'm not singing it now, though. Trust me. If you catch me some evening, I might sing it for you then. So the, um, the acrostic was used for a couple of different reasons. The first and foremost was that memorization piece. If I can still remember the Hebrew alphabet, the actual native speakers, the Israelite, the Hebrew people, um, could also remember it. And they could then help them to remember the psalm that they were reciting or singing. Because there was a strong oral tradition within the Hebrew scriptures in ancient times. They didn't have books and a lot of paper to write down on, and so they would uh, memorize the scriptures. And they started teaching the scriptures at a, to the children at a very young age, um, and as a, a, a late 30s um, man, I, I don't remember things really well, but as a kid, I don't think I remembered things at all. And so for teaching small children or young, young children, uh, the, the acrostic would have been a really easy and helpful way. There are two other reasons that the Hebrew uh, scriptures use the acrostic. The second one was that it gives a feeling of order out of the chaos. 
So you had every single letter you'd go through. There was order being brought out of that chaos. I don't know about you, but that's something I could use today. There, there, we live in this chaotic world, and, and so as we read through the scriptures, that sense of bringing order out of chaos is so important. Now, I will say this. So, Psalm 37 is an acrostic poem, if you didn't figure out that connection. Um, but, if you're reading it in English, you know what it doesn't do? An acrostic poem, right? Some of your Bibles may actually list the Hebrew letters here on the side, and that's what they're doing is they're referencing that every single line of that poem, and it's not every verse, but there, there are lines in the Hebrew, and everyone is referencing, referencing that. So I really have turned and run to Psalm 37 as a means of bringing order out of the chaoticness of our lives today. The third reason is that it um, it provides a sense of completeness. That there's the, the um, goes right to left. So the Aleph and the Tav. The, the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, right? God is, is over all of it. And so we'll see as we go through and as you heard some of Psalm 37 that there is a sense that there is a completeness to it. That God is overseeing all of it. That God is in the midst of our transitions. And so I want to look again at Psalm 37 and allow it to speak into some of our life's transitions. Just over 18 months ago, of course you will recall the world shut down from the pandemic. It came to a halt. And a popular word during that time was the pivot. I remember doing some online conversation where uh, I talked about the pivot. And, and many of us heard that word. We pivoted from being socially connected to socially distanced. We pivoted from going into the office to working from home. We pivoted from in-person schooling to remote learning. We pivoted from worshiping in the building to worshiping in our living rooms. It was, in many ways, at least for me, the year of the pivot. Now, if you were like me, I got sick of that word pivot. And I have, if, if you're sick of it, I have good news for you. The year of the pivot is over. The pivot of 2020 is over. Now, you can cheer, that'd be fine. I, I believe that the, the pivot is over because a new word is emerging, and that word is transition. See, what I think was happening early on was we thought that we would pivot for a time and then pivot back. And when you pivot, one of your feet doesn't move. There's still a grounding there. And so you can go back to exactly where you were. Well, I have news. We're not going back to where we were. Instead, I believe we're entering a time of transition. There's been, a, there, we're in the midst of a shift in worldview, a shift in thinking, a shift in perspective as a world, as a country, as a church. We are transitioning. 
And so we are entering into this time of transition. I read a book uh, at the beginning of this year by an author named Bruce Feeler. Um, you may have heard of him. He wrote, um, he wrote a book called Walking the Bible back in the probably 20 years ago now. Um, huge, thick book. It took me, I could have literally walked the Bible and the Holy Lands before I finished this book. It took me that long. But um, I think you could actually go on the, uh, the Israel trip, which I think is... It, it may have gotten pushed back a little bit, but um, you could actually go there and come back and still be reading this book. But um, it really changed my life in a lot of ways and helped me on my journey of faith. But he wrote another book that I read this past year called Life is in the Transitions. And Feeler is... is um, is a storyteller. And, and so for this book, he interviews lots of different people and asks them their stories of transition. And not just like little transition, but major life transitions. If you're in your 30s and 40s and you go through a major life transition, they call it, what do they call it? A life crisis, a midlife crisis? So it's, but it's not just midlife. It can be at any point in our lives. But we go through these transitions. So he's interviewing people and out of that, he, he kind of develops this. He says, there are three phases to a transition. The long goodbye, the messy middle, and the new beginning. And he goes on and he says this, but the reality that came through loud and clear in my conversations is that these steps do not happen in a straight line. What he's saying is this, is even though we have what seemingly are a linear progression, the long goodbye, the messy middle, the new beginning, what he's saying is life is nonlinear. Life doesn't follow the order that it used to. It's chaotic, it's stressful, it's volatile, it's messy the whole way through. We used to live a linear life where you would uh, graduate high school and then go to college and then get a job and then get married and buy a house and have two and a half children and you would follow that line, right? And no longer is that how life works. We live in a non-linear life. And so I want to talk about these three stages today. And I'm going to share a little bit of my own life journey, uh, life transition, in hopes to help you to find meaning in maybe a past transition or to find direction and meaning in the current transition that I think all of us are going through. The writer of Psalm 37 is David, and, and I believe that he is, uh, is sort of writing out and processing some of his life transitions in this psalm. He, um, he went through lots of transitions in his life. Probably the most major transition that David goes through is the transition from shepherd boy to king of Israel. Now, if, if you read the story, um, David gets anointed as king um, by Samuel very, very young. I mean, he, he's maybe in his teen years, and, and it's like 10 to 20 years, I think, until he becomes the king of Israel. It's, it's maddening to see how long it takes. And, and that says, me as the reader, I can't imagine what David felt like walking through that transition of his life. And sometimes I wonder, like, God, why didn't you, like, wait a little bit so David could not have to wait so long? And yet, I think it reminds us that transitions and major life transitions don't happen overnight. They don't happen in six months. It's not a pivot. It can be a long journey. 
feeler says, you know, life transitions are, are three to seven years. It, and it, it doesn't happen overnight, but it happens gradually. It happens in a nonlinear fashion. Sure, there's a long goodbye, a messy middle, and a new beginning, but oftentimes we can't see that until the end, or those are all mashed together for most of it. So David says this as he's processing it. He says in, in verses 8 and 9, Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. So two themes are coming out of David's processing of his own life transition. And it's the theme of, it's a really basic theme of life, good and evil. It's, it's a theme that, in, uh, put it this way, um, stress and tranquility, despair and hope, wickedness and godliness. And oftentimes, as you can see, you, you, you experience these right next to each other, and sometimes almost simultaneously. So the first phase of, the, of a transition period is the long goodbye. I want to share a little bit of my own life transition. Um, the last major one that I experienced started in the fall of 2010 and ended in December of 2015. The period began as Michelle and I were expecting our second child. Uh, at the 20-week ultrasound, we went um, to find out, you know, the sex of the baby, because that's what you do at 20 weeks. Um, but during that, that ultrasound, anatomy ultrasound, they found a heart defect in my son, who we would later name Jude. And we were given a very small chance that he would survive after birth. On March 15th of 2011, our son was born at the University of Michigan Hospital. And 25 hours later, on March 16th, he passed away in his mother's arms. Our long goodbye had begun in that time. And I would say this, is the long goodbye is messy and it's difficult there's so much that goes on in that period. And, and in our current long goodbye, there's a grieving process. There's a, a, a letting go. There's anger involved. There's frustration. There's grief. All of those things. And I, and I would say this about our long goodbye is we heard a litany of nonsense during that time. I can't tell, I, I could sit here for days and tell you all of the crazy things that we heard. Many from, I hate to say it, but many of those things from Christians because we're good at acronyms like FROG, just fully rely on God. Like, and, and I hear it even in the Psalms here. So as I'm looking at transitions and a long goodbye, Psalm, uh, Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Who wants to hear this as you're grieving? I don't know that anyone does. And so... We need to remember that this is a truth, but it's maybe not the truth that we need to hear in the midst of that long goodbye. So many things and people are putting out right now as we have experienced this long goodbye as a country, and a lot of it is just utter nonsense. The memes, the acronyms, the cliches, the talking points, whatever it might be. And I would say this, is it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be frustrated. 
There's a good reason that in verse 8 it says, stop being anger. Stop being angry. For anger is part of that long goodbye. I know during that long goodbye for myself, I struggled with grief and mental health. And then that following winter, we requested a new church and a new appointment. And so in June of that year, we were sent to a new church and and a new city. And there was then grief again of leaving the community we had been with for over five years starting in a new city, starting in a new church. And oh, also, um, in April, before we moved, we had our third son. Um, and so we were moving with a new baby. We, we like to kind of mash as much together at once as possible. A, a scripture began to emerge and grow inside of my heart during that period. And it's really, it's become my life verse in many ways. And it's from Romans eight twenty eight. It says, we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Put it this way, God brings good out of evil situations. He doesn't cause it, but he redeems it. And even in the midst of that long goodbye in my own life, I could begin to see just glimpses of places where God was redeeming our grief and our brokenheartedness. It brings us then to the messy middle. And the messy middle is when we start to sort things out. And, and I would emphasize start to sort things out. For me, the messy middle began as I was appointed to a new church. Uh, and I, as the church I went to had its own baggage from previous pastors. I was bringing my own baggage as well. We then moved into a parsonage that was on the church property. Um, and, and we never felt safe in. And so we were able to eventually um, buy a new house. Um, and two days... Um, we were supposed to sign the papers and take the keys for, to purchase our house on a Friday. On that Wednesday, two days before, um, I went to a, doctor's, a follow-up doctor's appointment. I had been having some pain and had an MRI done at the urgent care, and they sent me for follow-up. And I was actually just down the street here at the University of um, the Seidman Center. And at that appointment, the doctor matter-of-factly told me that I had kidney cancer. And... Thankfully, um, in January, January 21st of 2013, um, I, was, I had successful surgery. They removed part of my kidney. They removed the mass uh, and the cancer. And I've been fine ever since. And here's the thing. Everything could have just gone back to normal at that point, but it didn't. And the the words of the psalmist resonated in my soul. He says, day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have enough. So I would just encourage you that, that when you find yourself in the messy middle, know that God is still there. I'll be honest, I had this feeling during this time where I would be, you know, just struggling, grieving. Um, There were times when I would walk um, in my backyard um, when we were still in Brimfield. And my backyard um, was actually a cemetery. 
So at night I was walking through the cemetery, which was probably closed uh, at the time, and having, we'll say, conversations with God. There was plenty of four-letter words and colorful language during those conversations because there was anger in my heart. And here's the thing, God can take that, express it to him, because there's no way to move through life's transitions without expressing our frustration and our disappointment. But don't forget that God is walking with us. I would have these moments where I would be going through life and I would sense God in something. You know, maybe something bizarre. I, I, I don't have any examples off the top of my head, but I would look, I, I would feel like this. I would, in my mind, look to the side in the corner of a room and feel like God was just sitting there waving and be like, hey, I'm here. I'm like, hey, awesome, come over here and, and fix this. And yet God never came and fixed it, but he walked through it with me in that messy middle. And, and, and he, I believe, wants to walk with us through that messy middle. He may feel like at times he's off in the corner, but he's still there. And so I would encourage you to take heart and to be encouraged. In January of 20, uh, 2014, a new beginning began to emerge for my family and I. We welcomed our fourth son into the world. Noticing a pattern yet? I did not say my last. But we welcomed our fourth son into the world. And two days after that, I accepted a new job as a financial advisor with a company called Thrivent Financial. I've been with that company now for almost eight years. Seven years, I guess. But, um, and... and <clears throat> That, that transition was kind of where we were entering into a new phase. And I had a confidence and a peace about that phase, but I'll be honest, it was also terrifying. My wife was excited to transition out of full-time ministry. It had taken a toll on my family, uh, and, and as you can probably understand why. But I was... I was slightly terrified. I was starting a commission-based job with three small children, a stay-at-home mom. Uh, my wife was a stay-at-home mom, and we had $3,000 in the bank. That's not a great way to start a new beginning. In fact, you might say that was still part of the messy middle. Again, it's a non-linear path. It's a non-linear journey. Now, of course, we have been um, fortunate that it's, that it's worked out. And I would say this, some of our journeys, some of our life transitions don't always work out. This isn't a message to say just keep on keeping on and God will take care of it. Sometimes the messiness turns into tragedy. But I would encourage you, you're all still here. Keep on through that. I had a peace and a confidence as we started a messy new beginning. I had a confidence that the psalmist's words again resonated in my soul. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by the hand. So when God feels like he's not in the room or just in the corner, 
He is still holding our hands, guiding us through that. I hope you can find some encouragement in my story, some hope there to continue on in your story. My story isn't pretty. It's messy. Plenty of people hear that I left ministry and think, well, what did you do wrong? And then Pastor Chip and Pastor Terry pulled me back in, and that's why you're stuck with me today. I have two minutes left. You may not be clapping when I actually finish. Um, As we find ourselves now in the midst of a major life transition through a pandemic that has shifted our worldview, has shifted our perspective, has shifted our mindset, um, we find ourselves experiencing the long goodbye, the messy middle, and a new beginning. And remember this, have patience with one another because it's nonlinear. Some of us are still in that long goodbye. Some of us are way on our way to a new beginning. Now, I, I question those people, but, but that's, my, that's my thing, not yours. And then there are lots of us in the messy middle. I don't know where you are on that, but I would encourage you to have patience with yourself and patience with others because the reality is this, the transition is long, but God is in it. The transition is long. It's just the beginning where we're at. But God, God is in it. So remember those words of Romans 8, 28. That God will work all things in the long goodbye, in the messy middle, in the new beginning. He will work all of those things for good. For those of us that follow him. And I actually believe for all of us. I want to leave us with two pieces of wisdom to help get through this transition in a way that creates meaning on the other side of it. In, in verse 27, David says, Turn from evil and do good, and you will live in the land forever. It's pretty simple. Turn from evil and do good. And so I would say this is, is another way to say it is avoid wickedness. Avoiding wickedness starts with doing no harm. The the reality is, is that in times of stress, it's very easy to lean towards doing harm to others. And, And so the psalmist defines wickedness as worry, fret, anger, losing one's temper, borrowing without repayment, oppressing the poor, killing others. Plenty of us could raise our hands, at least maybe just for the first part of that, maybe not the second few. Um, And and I would say this, is none of us think we are wicked, none of us identify as evil, but we have a tendency to lean that way. Um, There is an inventory that happens uh, that's out there called the Holmes Ray Stress Inventory. And it's a test that you kind of go through and there's all these different life changes and it rates them based on stress. So there's things like uh, a death of a spouse, a close family member, uh, the death of a, a, you know, a child, divorce, change of job, change of financial state. Do you hear a theme going on here? Things that we're experiencing right now, change in work conditions, change in social habits, change in church, change in um, personal habits, and it goes on and on and on. 
So I thought it would be fun. I said, I wonder what my score would have been during that life transition period. And it was about 553. And then I thought, well, what is it, what is ours as a society right now look at? Now I would tell you this, 300, anything over 300 is considered like pretty significant. It can cause, uh, it, we're at risk for illness and injury uh, to, our, to our minds, our bodies, and our souls. How many of you think right now we're over 300? How about 400? 500? 600? 700? You guys are smart, you apparently cheated. Um, how many of you think it was over 800? Terry, you listen to the first message. 837. 837. As a collective whole, now, we haven't all experienced all of those things, thankfully. But as a society, we are stressed. And we are leaning towards wickedness and evil in ways that that many of us have never seen. And so I would just encourage you to reflect on the question of how are you handling your stress in these difficult times? Another way to put it would be this. How are you allowing God to redeem these difficulties? We are experiencing stress, often all of it, much of it forced upon us. And I would just encourage you to take self-reflection and try not to lash out in anger and to lean towards wickedness. Now, the second piece of wisdom that I want to leave you with this morning, and this is where we'll finish, is to seek godliness and do good. And godliness is demonstrated by action to, to do good. Godliness is oftentimes maybe think of kind of that holier than thou. I read my Bible every morning. I don't say, I don't say bad words. Um, you know, I pray for my enemies. And, and in the scripture, the good news is that's not really how David is defining godliness. If you've read David's story, that's not how he lived godliness either. Instead, he talks about trusting in the Lord, delighting in the Lord, being still in the Lord, hoping in the Lord. And then some really practical ones. Being generous to others, loving justice, offering good counsel, teaching right from wrong. And those are the things that I would offer to you as a, as, as a very practical things to do. Is number one, just very simply live generously. The company I work for now, one of their kind of main, you know, main core values is living generously. And that has gotten into my heart, and I would encourage you to live that out as well. Because anytime we take our, take our eyes off of ourselves and put them onto others and seek to bless them, we are then also blessed. When we look to others, it brings us out of that depression, that anxiety, that anger, that fear, and it allows us to bless others. So, so live generously. Maybe that's, maybe that's with your money, but that might be with your time and your talents as well. The second one is to love justice. I don't need to tell you in this room that we've experienced significant social and racial unrest in our country in the last 18 months. We as a church are called to a place of diversity and reconciliation. You may have heard that word a few times in the last six months. Is anyone tired of hearing that word? Pastor Scott, specifically. It is part of who we are. 
is a people that love justice, that value diversity. So if you didn't hear the promo by Pastor Chip, I would again invite you next Saturday, I guess this Saturday, September 11th, the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, to come to the festival, the, the, these words are so big, the, <laughs> the Renaissance of Reconciliation Festival, September 11th, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Apparently there's going to be food there. I heard that. I don't know what else is going on, but there will be food there. But it's a chance for us to live into our calling as a people to reconcile the world, to bring some meaning, to bring a new beginning. The, the, rec, the, the renaissance of reconciliation is marking our new beginning in some very tangible ways. And so I would encourage you to come out and to be a part of that. You can go to garfieldchurch.org slash renaissance to learn more about it. Talk to one of the pastors. Or if you can't spell renaissance, there's a yellow, ta- yellow bar at the top. Just click there. That was for me more than maybe you. The last thing I would suggest is to offer good counsel. There are generations that did not, that were not alive during 9-11, which really was the last major transition. Many of you have been through other major transitions. You have wisdom to offer and counsel to be shared with those of us that haven't had as much life. And so I would just encourage you to share your wisdom, to walk alongside of others, but also to seek out counsel yourselves. We won't get through this without bonding together as a community, without sharing that stress as a community. And so these are just a couple of ways. There are so many more, but I'm already six minutes in the red. But I would consider reflecting on this, how can you live out godliness and goodness in your own life? Can you slow down long enough to reflect on how you can avoid wickedness and turn from evil, to seek godliness and to do good? We're going to now move into a time of communion, which is a very practical, physical way of turning from our brokenness, turning from the evil in our lives to a place of God redeeming us and being broken for us. So let us do that now.